Who framed Roger Rabbit? You've seen the movie, you know the story. And welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? You know, the back of the box assumes we've all seen the movie. So, have we? I've I've seen it, like, once when I was a kid. I remember almost nothing about it. I haven't seen it at all. I mean, I've, I've seen clips. Uh, I don't know. When people talk about it with 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 like pictures <laughs> so like you know i know i know what he looks like and i know who jessica rabbit is um of but, course you do <laughs> uh but <laughs> yeah yeah uh but other than that like i don't i don't really know too much all right well i do i love this movie i also love robert zemeckis this is another robert zemeckis joint uh and also robert zemeckis also made um back to the future so i mean we have two LJN produced movie video games that were both Robert Zemeckis style movies. This is interesting. This is there's a lot of crossover here. Didn't wasn't like uh, one of the bits of trivia from Back to the Future that Robert Zemeckis hated it, like hated the the video game version of of Back to the Future. Uh, yeah, active. Yeah, like actively hated the Back to the Future movie. I'm sorry, and game. He, game. Yeah, Back to the Future the movie the game. Oh, well, he yeah. probably played it. I maybe maybe I'm just misremembering. Yeah, I don't remember that piece of trivia. So, um I will try to find a source for that and put it in the show notes if I can, but <laughs> that's interesting. I doubt Robert Zemeckis was playing video games. He was pumped. This was his like, you know, legendary run of movies from like 1985 all the way to Oh, well, um, I mean, he was it doesn't that's not to say that he was playing them, but I'm sure like he was aware that a game was being made. <laughs> well, maybe he was just mad that so many of his the games of his movies had nothing to do with the movies themselves. <laughs> He's like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm telling a different story. You're telling the story of my characters doing other things <laughs> that they don't do in my movies. Yeah, I mean, it also True. could be that Back to the Future game was just, like, definitively a bad game. Well, the one thing I remember from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the, the movie, not the video game that we'll get into in a minute, is that uh, there is a scene in that movie where... Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse are together in the same shot. And, like, for me, I just had to call that out here on the show because that was, like, a huge... I didn't think that could be done. I didn't understand that that was possible. But that's when I learned to love our corporate overlords for giving us the much-needed crossover uh, that now we just get all the time. Any any two pop culture characters that we want, put them together. It's a multiverse. I'm still waiting for uh, a live-action Batman and Iron Man movie, so I think that'd be fun. Soon enough. Never. You know, Marvel vs. DC is only like 30 years away. (laughs) (laughs) Who Framed Roger Rabbit? The game is based on the movie, but maybe not if you ask Robert Zemeckis, but it's an action-adventure game where the player controls private detective Eddie Valiant, uh, accompanied by Roger Rabbit, who you do not get to play as at all, uh, you must find clues and items that help you progress the story and find out, you guessed it, who framed Roger Rabbit. Sounds like an okay game to me. 
But didn't you guys want to play as Roger Rabbit? Didn't you think you were going to play as Roger Rabbit? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but isn't isn't uh, this other guy, the detective, isn't he like the actual main character? Yes. Okay, but yeah, sure, he's the main character, but this is a children's game now. Yeah, and like, you know, movie. you think it. Yeah, no, I don't think so. No. I beg to differ there. Okay. No, I'm just thinking like the NES is like a children's console. Well, well here, you know, here's like, the here's the question that I have. Would you rather be Roger Rabbit or hang out with Roger Rabbit? Like it's not I don't think that like Roger Rabbit is uh is like oh men want to be him. Um <laughs> but he he might be fun Sean. to hang out with and and that's exactly what this is simulating here. He just sort I, of like follows no, you around no. and what? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because think about it like this: Would you rather be Sonic the Hedgehog or hang out Sonic with Sonic the Hedgehog? No, 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 does no, not no, translate no. to Roger. No, no, no. Listen, I will tell you though. Translate. Listen, one fan made a game where you just hang out with Sonic the Hedgehog in your apartment, <laughs> True. and he progressively does creepier and creepier sure. things to you. And that's what you just made me think of with Roger Rabbit. I'd rather play as him in some wacky platformer that is inspired by like the. Um, the opening short with him and the baby who turns out to be like a 40 year old man. Um, I don't know if you guys, you guys haven't seen the movie, so it doesn't matter, but that's like the opening sketch is like, Oh, Roger Rabbit is actually like a famous cartoon character in this universe. And he makes the movies in the cartoons in this tune world. And I thought like, you know, you could do that as like a platformer or like a Bugs Bunny's crazy castle style game. But instead they decided to take the route that the, the movie totally takes. So it's fair. I just don't know how much fun it is to be <laughs> the private detective and then just have Roger Rabbit follow you around, but not even like closely follow you. He just kind of has his own mind and doesn't it doesn't really interact with much of anything. Well, here here's where I want to just kind of uh, argue argue my point here. Um, the difference between Roger Rabbit and Sonic is that Sonic has like you know he's. He's fast. He has powers. He does things. Whereas Roger Rabbit, for as far as, for, as far as I can tell, is somebody that has mostly just absorbed knowledge of Who Framed Roger Rabbit through, like, I don't know, pop culture retrospectives. Um, it seems like he's just like a dude, like a, a dude cartoon and like more like an actor. Is that is that the case? Uh, yes to the actor, but I wouldn't say he's just like a guy living in that universe. He just takes on like the trope of a you know a Bugs Bunny, a Mickey Mouse, a uh, Woody Woodpecker, just like the lead person who can do it all. Okay, I yeah, I don't know. I guess if we're going for a mystery and solving it, I would probably go with like the the actual detective, unless it was called Detective Roger Rabbit, which which might be another thing in an alternate universe. Well, so I'm thinking of like what I would how I would have reacted as as a kid in 1989 when this came out and i feel like yes if we were talking like a platformer or something i'd want to be like the colorful you know crazy cartoony roger rabbit but like my you know my like eight-year-old brain would be like oh like i want to be the i want to be the detective like i want to be this cool guy and like have to protect the the like goofy cartoon character because i'm too cool for cartoons like you know i feel like i would be you know for, <laughs> for that age you might you might actually benefit from not being the cartoon character
So they tried to make it true to the story of the movie, like finding clues to figure out who framed Roger Rabbit. As a detective in this game, how do you find these clues? Because remember, <laughs> this isn't Rockstar's L.A. Noir. You're not going around and interrogating people and doing like, you know, custom speech dialogue to get uh, proper answers and stuff like that. Mike? This is a game where ultimately the detective part of it, like the mystery solving part, to me, I don't even know where to start because it's so, it's just so bizarre for a, a, a child's video game based on a hit movie to take the most, uh, you know, the hardest route to getting around to the answers. <laughs> Mike, can, can you help me? No, there is nothing in this building. <laughs> I didn't know what you were doing for a second there. I was like, is Sean okay? <laughs> it's so, like, uh, humiliating uh, being a detective in this game. You're just like, oh, can, can you help me? <laughs> and, and that's all you ask. That's all you can ask. And there's like, there's nothing in this building. I was like, check the drawers, please. Like, I... That that's what being a detective is like in this game, and then you find stuff just by sheer brute force, pretty much. Uh, I, I that's what my experience was, at least. Yeah, but at least you only have to wait like eleven seconds while you search each. <laughs> well, you if you want to search the desk, yeah, you'll search for eleven seconds. You got to just sit there. Well, it's very realistic. Yes. Yeah. So for those who don't know, uh, what you do is you as the detective are on the streets of Toontown and you go into a building and you immediately like find a person or a stray cat that wants to kill you. <laughs> but say you find the person first, uh, you press the A button only once. Don't you dare press it <laughs> twice or you will cancel the dialogue option between you and the other um, NPC. However, if you do manage to have the conversation, it is just what Sean asked me earlier and there are only three possible answers there's either the building is empty the building has something or search the drawers and uh that might prove to be like okay great like that's how you find out that's a valid strategy for finding out if there's anything in these uh worth your time in these buildings but every single time the game resets which buildings have which items and where they are the only way to ever play this game from you know from start to finish is that you must go into every building and at least you could just i guess not ask anybody and just explore everything but you have to ask at least one person in each building hey is there anything in here and they just say no it's like what is the point of that why randomize everything if it just comes down to a simple like speech test against the npcs uh, look i'll say that uh, you know on the surface well first of all yes i agree none of this is executed well at all it's very, it's very, the gameplay loop uh, when it comes to this part uh, is not fun. Just, uh, there's no other way to put it. But I'll say that on the surface or on paper, rather, I, I get, like, I can see a world where this is okay. Because it's just a means to get you around town. It's like a little bit of a MacGuffin or whatever you want to call it. Like, that's just like, yeah, this is how, this is what gets you into building a building where, like, other crap happens that's, like, exciting or whatever. Like, these things will attack you or you got to answer these dumb jokes or whatever but it's like I, I i get that as being like well this gameplay loop could work if it needs to be contextualized everything else worked perfectly with it and it wasn't quite so like it wasn't quite so tedious like maybe have like one or two things to search in each building if you're going to do it this way just let you search it you don't have to wait to, to for, for realism's sake and then you you have to definitely have like 
enough exciting things going on between that that makes like the search feel exciting. Yeah, I mean, right now what we're what we're playing in this game is is the template. Like, there's no like there's no reason why anything is in any uh building. Um, there's no there's no context. There's there's no uh dramatic force. Like we're we're playing the we're playing the 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 how to. It's like, hi, my name is Love Interest, and <laughs> I'm going to guide you to plot point two. And that's exactly like if this game were the story, that's how it would be written out. And that means that it's all like I felt like what I was doing was completely useless <laughs> because there was nothing mysterious about this about this detective story. It was just, oh, it's just I have to click on everything pretty much. And that's how you solve things. Right. Yeah. I mean, to follow up on what Joe was saying, if they said that there was something in the building so that you knew like, okay, yeah, this is why they randomize it because sometimes the build and every building is completely different, right? Not the case in this game, but let's pretend in a different game, every building would be different. So you never know which challenging thing you're going to have to get X item in Y building because you don't want to deal with that challenge this time, time for a reset of your game. Instead, once you find out that there's something in the building, it's just on the freaking floor and you pick it up and you leave. It's not even like there's some kind of challenge or things specific to only that building or a location or something like or that. Even when they tell you, yeah, exactly. When they tell you search the drawers or search around or whatever, I was thinking like, oh, there's this little mouse hole like that. Maybe there's something in there. And I was thinking like, oh, I'm ahead of the, I'm thinking ahead of the game. Like they, they designed that really well. It's noticeable. I'm going to search in the mouse hole and something funny is going to happen. And it's just, there's nothing here. Well, then don't even make it an option then. <laughs> Each interactable object in this game is like a less interesting equivalent of flushable toilets in like first person shooters. They're just like, <laughs> there's there and it's there to like make you feel like the world is interactive, but it's really just a cookie cutter like button press i don't know yeah. it, it, i mean I, it's but very to be sad clear things can it's possible things are sometimes hidden in the, in those mouse holes or in the drawers it's just way more often it's just sitting on the floor and there's way too many mouse holes and drawers and desks that have nothing in it that just make it all so pointless and yeah i think i mean i feel like i i want to make this this suggestion but i feel like it's it's one of those things where it's like well yeah you're just talking about making a whole different game now but like my thought is like if 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 these rooms were a little more puzzly or a little more uh, like contextual, it's like, yeah, the, the, the baseball is in like a sporting goods store or something like, you know, whatever. But like, I I'm thinking of it. Like you can make these like tiny little mini escape rooms where there's like a little puzzle or a little something you got to figure out uh, rather than just being totally random. Uh, you know, it's like spy versus spy without the, um, Without the element of like the two player, like where I wonder where he hid the trap thing. It's just things are just randomly placed, and 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 that takes away what I think makes Spy versus Spy cool. Yeah, and, and that's like when it's when this game describes itself as an adventure game. That's what like it, that's what comes to mind is uh, are are these really ridiculous ways to interact with the world in very specific ways uh, that. While it may not make sense, you may need to buy like a, a fake mustache to get something out of a drain pipe or something. But at least that there's some, at least there's something going on instead of like, oh, let's just check all the drawers. But like, let's just brute force this. 
Yeah, and for a place like Toontown, the apartment buildings are like all exactly the same and really boring, just consisting of desks and drawers that you can search through and everybody's rooms are just like their bedroom. There's yeah. no like wacky zany things and yet the actual gameplay parts of it do include some cartoony like elements i noticed that if you hit a person and then talk to them not all the times but sometimes they will respond go away you horrid man (laughs) because they're reacting to the fact that you just beat them up for no reason reactivity (laughs) yeah exactly it's like that that's a nice touch for a for a game to have like this that otherwise has zero personality Think about when you're walking along the streets to get from building to building. If you get run over by one of the cars, you get like, you know, laid out like um like one of those bear rugs, you know, you or Roger. Now, Roger, if he gets hit, he's fine because he's just a cartoon. So he just like unflattens himself and everything's back to normal. If you get hit by a car, you're a human being with, uh, you know, vital organs that are no longer intact. You know, I, like I assume that just they, they've got a lot of little like just slapstick moments for Roger Rabbit. They're like, that's what he's there for. And also like you, you're there to like, uh, maybe I'm mis- misremembering the movie, but like maybe or like, does, th- does this make sense that you're kind of there to protect Roger? Yes. Yeah. You, you're, you hate cartoons. Okay. That's the whole idea. Like the detective hates cartoons. He, uh, I think is, I think the story, which I, I'm now slightly misremember- misremembering too, but I believe his, his like buddy cop was killed by a tune or something like that. And that's why he doesn't trust <laughs> cartoon characters anymore. <laughs> Wait, so he begrudgingly, I'm, I'm, we're just talking about the movie now. So he just begrudgingly accepts Roger Rabbit's request for help. Well, because now he's a private detective, so um, he had, you know, it's like before he used to be on the force and everything. It's all the noir tropes, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he is. I don't think Roger Rabbit like comes to him. I don't. I don't recall exactly who comes to him. It might have been Jessica Rabbit. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> speaking of just cartoon e things that happen in this game. Occasionally, as you're wandering around town, um, a group of Judge Doom's weasel henchmen will come up and potentially grab Roger and hold him hostage. And the only way to free him is to successfully tell the punchline to their jokes. And I can't help but feel like this is one of the best moments in the game, (laughs) no matter how painful the punchlines actually are. Yeah, it's... It's definitely a, a different form of combat, if if you want to call it that. This game does have combat too, but um, I, I I like to think of it more as a a creative solution to um, fights. Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice interrupter. That's one thing I will say. This game is going. It's got a lot of variety, and it's it's kind of it is funny to see all these really bad jokes come up, but. And I know we keep bringing it back to the movie, but does something like that happen in the movie where, like, they laugh so hard that, that everyone gets away or something? Or is this just random? Uh, I'm pretty sure that happens in the movie, okay. yes. Uh, the weasels are, yeah, like, known for laughing. But I would even just argue that, like, that kind of, you know, very on-the-nose silliness is what the movie is known for, too. And I feel like here it's executed really well because it's also, it's not just, 
you know, here's an A, B, C, D, C, D thing, and you just pick one of the options. You have to like cycle through potential answers and then select the one that you think matches their joke. And it just feels like it's an actual interactive moment rather than just like a forced cutscene that only happens like one time and you know the joke is obvious you got to use your your allotted tune seconds very uh uh very thoughtfully they call them tune seconds yeah what was that i thought when i read that in the manual it says nine tune seconds i thought they were trying to make a really bad play on 19 oh my god but it's not 19 it's nine seconds i i don't know i don't i just i laughed at that and I'm not sure well, you see, it's different. M- movies, movies are filmed uh, in frames per second, but because this was an animated movie, it was filmed in tunes per second. So that was a reference to the movie as well. That sounds contrived, but I can't tell if you're messing <laughs> with it. I can't tell if it's now. made up or not either, so I'm just not <laughs> reacting. I want to talk about the strange selection of both user interface and inputs to do things in this game, though, because we were just talking about the weasel punchline thing, which I thought was done very well, except for I didn't know how to even see any punchlines until I realized you have to hold down select and then cycle with the D-pad through the options. It's like, why wouldn't the D-pad just work by itself? Like, why would you have to hold select? The the choice of text on the menu screens at all time of like, you know, like your lives are represented by these um, uh, clapboards and your power is these little P buttons, uh, P icons, and then your strength meter is just always on the screen, even if there's like no combat necessary, but it's something that winds up like a meter for, um, you know, for like a golf swing. It's very, um, just a strange choice of, of menu design elements that are just constantly around you. Yeah. And a yeah, ton it- of, a ton of real estate on that, on that menu at the top is given to like just the words Roger Rabbit. And the fact that like some of them have mul- have multiple uses, and uh, like because the power meter is also uh, uh, where it tells you what you're doing, and while it, I think it makes sense, and it's a it's a good like workaround to have uh, like your usable items be cycled through with like the select button. I have no idea why um, in a screen where you have no other. Any, anything to input for you still have to do that in in the joke phase I, I that was that was odd but i don't think that um an expert in ui ux was on staff <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i also i like i feel like the select thing because that was really just baffling to me too i i i had to look it up like how to how to change the punch lines as well and it feels like well you know the the d-pad is the is the most is the best way to use this, but like this button's called select, so we have to use that somehow. Or else <laughs> they people aren't take everything literally. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like it's like you just because it's called select doesn't mean it has to be the button. You have to somehow incorporate it into selecting things. And I just want to throw it out there. Uh, you know, we didn't mention it. We we did throw LJN under the bus, but they actually hired Rare to develop this game. So this is kind of unusual that we're we're you know we're complaining so much about normal gameplay design elements from a company that usually we enjoy the way they think outside of the box. I think that's a thing with LJN too, though. Like what I associate them with are like this, this really 
weird dude that just like, oh, we're going to make it so that you can drive a car and, and you have full 360 control of steering, but we're not going to let you off the train tracks. And uh, we're going to have Roger Rabbit follow you around, but like not really close. And it's not going to make a lot of sense. He's just going to kind of walk. Like that's sort of what they've been doing with, whether it's, whether it's Jaws or uh, like all of the, the, like the line of bullies that you have to throw, you have to throw like beer bottles at in, in, um, in back to the future. Like they're just wild and crazy ideas. And they just throw stuff at the wall. And it's kind of endearing uh, that they, that they have these unique ideas. It's just, they never really think too much about them. <laughs> so that's what I think of LJN. And with, this is still like, we've, we've talked about before, like rare doesn't really have, they haven't really proven that they have the kind of pedigree that we associate with rare yet. So I, this sort of, this is sort of like par for the course with them too, right? Well, I guess I would just say that every time they've given us a game that wasn't just like a Jeopardy Wheel of Fortune thing, it's a completely different game. And this this one follows that rule as well. You know, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit for me personally is so hard to talk about because it's unlike any of the other 222 NES games we played before it. However, I would just say that like. While I'm not a huge fan of something like Wizards and Warriors or um, Slalom uh, and stuff like that, those games are good. You know, like they're technically impressive for the time, and I had very little to complain about. This game, it feels like it's more like you were saying, an LJN pitch them, like, you're going to make this game for us, and here's how it's going to work. And, you know, Rare was forced to make it the way LJN wanted it. That's the only sense I could make of it. Yeah, make it follows. This, this definitely feels more LJN than rare. Yeah, and you mentioned like their their like ambition being kind of endearing, and and I I like really agree with that because like I I enjoyed playing this game just purely out of like oh they tried to do this and they tried to do that <laughs> and, you know like even when a lot of it doesn't work even when like if I take away my like just my like the intrigue that i have about like what they were attempting to do then like if i take away that a lot of these things yeah are not fun but like i just i just appreciate seeing all of these like all of these like things that they try to do in the systems that they use to to, to try to make it work like it, it's kind of cool if you're if you're if you're interested in like in old games and stuff i feel like this is just it's just fun to kind of like break this game down yeah, and understand what's going on uh, going on under the hood, and also just like the uh, the fact that bad is so much better than bland. So, um, a, a lot of the games that uh, Mike mentioned uh, that Rare had done previously, like yeah, they, they they're definitely competent games, but I don't really they don't really occupy too much space in my head. Um, whereas I feel like I'm not gonna forget playing Who Framed Roger Rabbit because <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird. So, yeah, yeah. Let's go over the points of progression throughout this game. Because you're a detective trying to get to the bottom of this, the whole game is just about finding series of clues to unlock the next 
gated part of the game to then allow you to move forward. So the first thing you have to do is, and you will find many other things along the way, of which I can't tell you what you might specifically find because it'll be uh, unique to your uh, playthrough. But the first thing you need to do is find the password and the rose to get into the Ink and Paint Club. Now, you can just find just the password to get in. However, Jessica Rabbit won't talk to you unless you give her a rose <laughs> because that's how she knows that you love her or something, <laughs> I suppose. So you give her the rose. Now you can talk to Jessica Rabbit. She'll give you clues to where the will is. And now the game becomes no longer about finding items, but finding pieces of the will. So you locate the pieces of the will based on the obscure hints she gives you about where the will might be. And this is a little bit where the game opens up, but ultimately it's just another batch of, okay, now instead of going into buildings and asking, is there anything in here? Now you're asking Jessica Rabbit, uh, do you have any idea where the next piece of your will is? <laughs> so I don't know if you guys want to talk about like, you know, that part of the game, but like for me, it just... It didn't actually feel like anything opened up. You know, they try to make it so like, now you can go into the woods and go into the caves and do this and that to find the will. And it's like, I don't know, it didn't really actually seem any more exciting. I, I bet for them it was like that moment at the end of Final Fantasy VII, uh, at the beginning of the end of Final Fantasy VII, where you um, leave Midgard. It's like, now you've got the whole world. And it's like, maybe that's what they thought Roger Rabbit was going to be like. <laughs> now you can explore outside the buildings. No, because it, it doesn't change the fact that we're still just playing the bones of like a story. Like They're referring to these things as, as pieces of the will, but it's just you need to collect three key items. And like you have to go back and ask her like, "Where is the next key item, please?" And she'll tell you. And then like that's sort of what's going on. It, it doesn't feel like you're opening up because again, there's no context to anything. Yeah, and like you 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 leave the city and you go into caves, and that's a little different because like you said, instead of asking people what's here, you have to like fight a snake or something in the cave <laughs> and then you'll, you'll need like items like you might have to, to get like the spring shoes that you would have had to find somewhere else to jump over like a chasm or something but um but then that's the new gameplay loop like that one change happens and then you do that 40 times <laughs> like looking for things and you go and talk to jessica rabbit and she gives you the 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 clue and everything but it's like yeah there's like a minor tweak to the gameplay loop that just like incorporates into the gameplay loop a little bit but still becomes very repetitive along with everything else. In a very, like, basic way, a lot of these early games attempt to be non-linear. Like, I, I think there is a very obvious points of progression thing that I just laid out, but if you're a kid exploring this game, those things aren't incredibly obvious to you. I'm looking on game FAQs to figure out, like, what to do next. There was this whole, like, non-linear gameplay for a lot of these uh action adventure nes games and then we just kind of said like that's not working and the super nintendo the n64 like for a while it was just like linear games that were very like follow the hallway style stuff and now we're getting back to the whole like open world do whatever you want style things that like yeah these games aren't open world i'm not making an argument for who framed roger rabbit there but i'm saying it it is funny that Games tried to do something very early on that they just didn't have the technology ready for yet. And I think that's the problem here is that Rare should have found a better way to communicate like what the new gameplay flow was rather than have it be just 
checking in with the same person over and over again to figure out what's the next place I have to go to. Yeah, you know, think about like Ninja Gaiden does it through like cutscenes, right? Of giving you the next bits of the story and then you just play the exciting moments. I think Hoover and Roger Rabbit didn't need to be level based, but it certainly needed to maybe have a moment of locked, you know, cutscene footage where you see like the next moment of the story unfold and understand like, oh, okay, so now I got to go here, you know? It, it would have been a little more exciting, I feel like, but they chose to make a game where you can find anything in any particular order because every time it's different. Yeah, I I think that the it's it's more open-ended than it is open world, so yeah, you're right on that count. Um, but I think that this game could have made a lot more sense and they would have the ability to... Um, to flesh things out a bit more if they just did away with the whole randomization. Like it, you could have finding uh, the baseball in the sporting goods store, even like, yes, just because it would be a hand placed item that you can, you can put like little environmental details in instead of everything being like a hotel hallway that people are walking around with desks and tables. Like there would be more of an opportunity to flesh this world out because you didn't have to worry about everything uh, being interchangeable. And th- I guess that's a lesson that they're learning here, or hopefully they learned it. Uh, the industry is learning here um, that unless you have unlimited resources that this game definitely didn't have, um, if the, the, the wider you make something, the shallower it becomes. And this is a prime example of that. Yeah, and like it, to me, it's kind of the equivalent to what we always say about enemy placement, where it's like they're doing the same problem that we have with with a lot of games, where like enemies just randomly appear anywhere, and it doesn't it doesn't always end up being fun because it wasn't designed specifically to be fun. <laughs> Whereas like this is the same thing. Like if, if in this case, if the developers took a little more control over where things were, it could feel a little more intentional. It could feel a little more like you solved a puzzle. Rather than like you just looked everywhere because you knew the game was just like randomly generating these items, so like it's weird because I feel like we've we've not really maybe we have seen things that have the same problem, but we've not really talked about that problem outside of like enemy placement. But it but it's kind of it it's kind of giving me the same the same vibe, and that's why I'll say that like I don't even necessarily think that this type of game doesn't work because the technology is not there, but I think that it's because the yeah the gaming industry's experience isn't there yet (laughs) like there's there's not enough gaming history to draw on and like learn from them from the mistakes of older games whereas like you know maybe a decade down the line or whatever when like other games are coming out like gta and stuff's coming out and and things like that it's like oh we've kind of we have a good idea of what works and what doesn't and how, how to how to kind of make this kind of thing work we keep mentioning uh, that inside these buildings or just locations you go to that there are items you pick up. There are a lot of different items to pick up. Uh, there are wallets. There's whistles. There's custard pies. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of stuff. So I don't want to, like, break down the power the power ups, if you want to call them that, um, you know, at, at a time. Was there anything you guys specifically thought was pretty unique? Uh, I'll take the obvious one here with the whistle being able to use to hail Benny the cab so that you could travel the map faster. That felt like an actual, uh, a little bit ahead of its time, but only because we haven't had all those 
um, Japanese RPGs come over yet. You know, they clearly took it from like those kinds of overworld games, but that feels like you're getting the airship moment where you can now explore the map a lot faster and see sections you didn't, uh, think you could see before. I like stuff like that. I'm less jazzed about like, using a wallet to purchase items at a store. It's like, uh, why would I have to give the whole wallet yeah. away <laughs> just to buy things at the store? I mean, I like that there's different classes of things. Like, yeah, there's there's currency, which is just wallets. Like, that's there's no money in them, but the <laughs> it, this, this version of Los Angeles trades exclusively in wallets. Um, <laughs> and uh, you've got the... You've you've got yeah, like you said, the whistle. But then the, the, a lot of them are just glorified keys. Like the uh, you you can't see in the uh, you can't see in the caves unless you get the torch, and you can't uh, jump over holes until you got the spring boots. Even though the man has legs, he can obviously jump, um, but not until you get those. So I just see them more as keys. So. Uh, a lot of it's just like little tricks like that and not so much like really interesting interactable tools yeah and then the other things are, are weapons which like yeah, you get like the bricks you throw the bricks and you think they would do like a lot of damage but they don't <laughs> and then there's like there's like a couple of things that you like lay down on the ground and you need someone to like fall into a trap and then there are also like a few things that you use to like lure like there's the the cheese that you can use to like lure the mice away. And there's something else I think for like cats or something I can't remember, but uh, fish oh, the bones. fish bone. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, so it's like it's cool how many items there are, but but it does lose its it does lose its luster a little bit when you realize like oh there's actually just like five items and then it's like cuz half of them all do the same Different thing. Different flavors of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Joe, you were talking about the combat-based items, though, and I realized, you know, we haven't really given the combat its due here. It's not terribly exciting, but do you want to break it down for us? Yeah, I mean, so your your main your main attack. So when you when you're when you're confronted by one of the what do you call them, the weasels <laughs> before you go into a building, you're if you, with no weapon, your main attack is this punch. And you have to charge up your punch to get like a more powerful attack. It's a little clunky at first, but you have to, you know, repeatedly hit the A button to charge up your attack and punch. And to be honest, I feel like that, you know, right there at the very beginning is kind of like the most practical type of combat. But, you know, you also just have like, yeah, you could throw a brick in like an arcing motion and try and, and try and hit hit him or or whatever. But Usually you'll get attacked and you get kind of like locked into the area until you until you finish the fight. Um, yeah, there are other little combat things if you want to consider like the cat and the dog and stuff. But actually, I'm not even sure. Can you hit them? Yeah, I feel like you can't hit them. So yeah, it's just the weasels. You can only lure them away um, with the you know the various items, fish bones, meat, uh, stuff like that. But you um, we're talking about the the punch. And I think you kind of undersold the wackiness of the <laughs> okay, punch yeah, with, wacky. The, with the wind-up, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a very cartoony, it, ironically, since you're not playing as the cartoon character, it's that very cartoony wind-up. And if you want to be moving, like, towards your enemy, you have to start that momentum before you start the wind-up. And, and you, like, continue that momentum through your wind-up. 
it's actually kind of an interesting little bit of a like mechanic because it's not just as easy as winding up and then like going up to your enemy and punching. You have to kind of have a little bit of finesse to it. But uh, I, I I do think that it is wacky, but it's also like I could have used that like power build bar to be like maybe like 75% the length that it is because like sometimes <laughs> you got to wind up for a really long time to get that like max hit. That, I mean, that makes it even more more cartoony than like just how over the top it is. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, he's winding up like he's throwing a softball pitch. And what he winds up doing is it's it's a release thing. So you just hold down the button and you watch him swing his arm and around and around and around. And then finally the weasel approaches you completely like oblivious to the fact that you've been building up strength. <laughs> and then you just wallop him right in the nose. <laughs> And if it's the if it is the kill shot, it's funny too because then he goes like flying up in the air and like I I appreciate that. I just wish either there were more animations for that kind of thing, like just more zany things that could happen with it, or that there was more to the fights than just like these are the enemy targets and just release the button when they get close enough to you. Right. It's not that hard to time it. Yeah, and it feels like they added more by some of these weapons, but like the weapons really don't, at least in my experience, don't do a ton of damage. So usually like I feel like I run out of weapons and then have to start punching anyways. Yeah, in Toontown, a pie should kill a man. (laughs) Well, we could talk about the final battle with uh, Judge Doom, but I didn't get there, and my (laughs) general understanding is that it's fine because that is an incredibly tough, boss battle yeah watching a like a let's play of it, i also didn't get there but like watching like a you know let's play to kind of to kind of just top off my knowledge for all the uh for the end of the game which i didn't finish that final battle that this guy who's i i you know would assume is like pretty good at this game took like it took like 14 minutes <laughs> like just to keep <laughs> punching this guy and avoiding getting hit three times I also want to point out that this uh, that this fight uh, is another example of a just really bizarre like user interface. Like the uh, you've kind of got that whole like strength slash um, description box being used simultaneously as your and the and the boss's health bar it, with these weird like. Um, these weird indicators move moving at, at weird intervals. I I just wanted to to bring that out there. Just it it it, it keeps with the theme. It's it's very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right because it's one bar where they can possibly display all the text. Because God forbid they get rid of the score bar. Because I know everybody's keeping track of their score. <laughs> Need to know my score at all times. Based game, right? Yeah. So instead. The only other bar where they can display information, they choose to just continue to trade off between that that kind of stuff. I also noticed, though, that when you do this fight, the first time you, like, kill Judge Doom, he is, like, incapacitated on the ground. You have to go pick up whatever's in, like, I guess that's a cement truck or something. Um, You have to go pick that up. And then he, like, comes to life and you have to be ready with that particular item and then start hitting him with that because that's the only way to kill him. If you're if you're like don't know that the first time <laughs> around, it would suck to die there and then have to fight him all over. Yeah, again. it oh feels God. like that's why that's there. 
to to be like the like gotcha that thing that just pisses someone off. Yeah, that gets that gets you at the end where it's like a and and like it's the dip cannon. Oh, the dip cannon. I'm not really sure go. what exactly. dip is, but it's referenced a lot. Um, and I just have to imagine it's from the movie. <laughs> is it like tobacco? Of course, like everything else. That's yeah, what the, I was the thinking. Tobacco like dip. dip. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um. And Judge Doom does not look nearly as scary as he does in the uh, movie. I know that gave a lot of children nightmares because he winds up, like, turning into a very scary-looking cartoon skeleton-like thing and blowing up in size. But they spared us that animation probably because they just couldn't do it. So one last thing that I wanted to uh, to talk about is we're going back a little bit, but when you meet Jessica Rabbit and you give her the rose, there's a way you can get her phone number. Oh, yeah, I read about this. Yeah, <laughs> this phone number is a number that you are meant to call in real life. And then Jessica Rabbit's voice or whatever voice that sounds like Jessica Rabbit's voice gives you more hints about the game. I think that's fun. I, I think, think that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I remember some stuff like this in the past uh, with other, like, you know, uh, sort of ARG-like. Um, I, I, It sucks that it's no longer active, I think. Yeah, that, I would have called They should have kept it up for posterity, but... <laughs> yeah, for this podcast. Exactly. Is there a recording anywhere? Yeah, I was going to say, at one time, the number, when it went down... It was taken over by like a sex hotline. <laughs> so when you called that number, you got, I guess, you know, you didn't get any kind of like Jessica Rabbit impersonator <laughs> or whatever, but just like you might have thought you were talking to Jessica Rabbit, if, depending on who you picked up the phone. But I think that's funny that like it's a kids game from 1989 and probably as early as like, I mean, like how long do you think they kept that number active? Th- two years, three years? Like, in the by the nineties, it's like now it's just kids are calling that number and getting access to porn. <laughs> well, I, this is a this is a total sidebar of this episode here, but a little fun fact that there are actually a lot of eight hundred numbers that um, went down and became sex hotlines, and there's an interesting uh, there's an interesting like reason behind it not to not to plug another random podcast on our podcast but whenever it listens to reply all they have a good episode that explains that like delves into the mystery of why all of these uh 800 numbers became sex hotlines huh joe you're allowed to plug other <laughs> okay <podcasts>. good good <laughs> i didn't know that that was, that that was a recent uh development in our world yep yep On the sequels and spinoff side, you know, obviously there's the movie, but I feel like it's also worth mentioning that the whole Roger Rabbit series began as a series of crime novels. Uh, The first novel written in 1981, who censored Roger Rabbit, and it is the basis for the film. But then uh, 10 years later, in 1991, we get who plugged Roger Rabbit. Now plugged? Yeah, (laughs) PPP. plugged okay 
Like how, I'm not sure what we're talking. Yeah, about. That's, that's what I was wondering. Right. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking the same thing too. But maybe like back then, plug was like a slang for like you know giving him like um, exposure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it still is like you know? diddling. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, like, not like the Joe, question. is Joe plug good or bad? Joe just diddled reply all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally exactly. interchangeable at all times. You can. Mm-hmm. It means the same thing. But uh, that book, who p- 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 plugged Roger Rabbit, is a <laughs> soft reboot uh, about Roger Rabbit, starring. Um, it's like Shore. the the same. It's a basically Roger Rabbit is going to be in a cartoon adaptation of Gone with the Wind, and this is going to be the big thing for his career. But uh, Clark Gable now has his eyes on Jessica Rabbit, and uh, that's not going to go over well with him. So he's <laughs> trying to figure out how to. Stay the leading man and um and win Jessica Rabbit's heart over. Doesn't sound nearly as fun as the movie or the video game for that matter. And then in 2013, the author was like, Oh, I can still make money off of this if I just feel like writing more books. Like now these people who watch who grew up with the movie are like older and they'll buy my book. So in 2013, he wrote, Who whacked Roger Rabbit? And um it's Basically the same premise, but instead now Roger Rabbit's gone missing, presumably dead, and they have to try and find him, figure out who did it. But it, otherwise, it's the same thing. Uh, the, pronu- the correct pronunciation is who done it. Who who done it instead of who did it? But maybe in that universe they say who did it. Sure. Maybe they say who diddle it. Who diddled oh, it? Oh, there you go. Or you could also <laughs> yeah. then say who plugged it. <laughs> there you it's go. Interchangeable. Yes, I forgot about that. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is not the only video game with that same exact title. Along the same time as the as Rare was developing the NES game, there was a game made for the computers called Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It was released a year earlier. You actually play as Roger Rabbit, and it's mostly driving levels with Benny the Cab. <laughs> that makes sense. That's fine. Oh, so now you're okay with a Roger Rabbit game where you play as Roger Rabbit? I'm I'm okay with a Roger Rabbit game where you where you play as Roger Rabbit if you're not trying to solve a crime. Okay, that makes sense. I would agree with you a hundred percent there. Yes. Who Framed Roger Rabbit also came to the Game Boy, but not the same game because uh, I would imagine that'd be a very hard uh, type of game to port over. This is an action game with puzzle solving elements. Roger Rabbit uh, is still the person you play as, so once again, screw the detective. And in this one, you're um, you're in Toontown, and the main like gameplay loop is going up to people that give Roger clues about where to go next. Hmm, this sounds familiar. And he has to collect a variety of items in order to progress. Starting to sound like the NES game. However, when walking around the town. He is attacked by enemies and has a chance to die this time. So no car mm-hmm. can just run him over and he gets freely back to life or whatever. This time you actually have to um, deal with fights and boss battles for that matter, but only as Roger. So this one doesn't pass the Sean test because it sounds like Roger is fulfilling both the Roger Rabbit and the detective role in this one. Yeah, it sounds like bullshit to me. Finally, in 1991, uh, for, um, you say, say DOS, right? I say DOS. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say DOS. That sounds weird. No, it's DOS. So for DOS and Amiga, we got Hair Raising Havoc, in which uh, you play as Roger Rabbit, and you need to help him get out of each room um, that he is, like, stuck in. So, Joe, here's your escape the room oh, style game yeah. with Roger Rabbit. 
And um, similar to what I was saying the game should be, this one is all about that first short with, um, apparently his name is Baby Herman, but that's the 40-year-old man who just acts as a baby uh, in the in the movie. And in this game, you have to try to escape each room so that you can capture Baby Herman before Mommy returns home. And, you know, stupid question, but it is called Roger Rabbit Hair Raising, ra- whatever, Hair Raising Havoc, right? Is Roger you know, Rabbit in the title? I don't know if Roger Rabbit's in the title, but we're going to find out in real time. Let's see. Hair Raising Havoc. No. That's crazy. Why would you not... <laughs> Why would you not brand your game with the character that people recognize, which is I well, they were able point. to license the likeness, but not, <laughs> but the, not name. the name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's on the front covers. So I guess you know yeah. that it's Roger, and they actually they put they took the time to put Jessica Rabbit on the front cover too because they were like sex sells, yeah. baby. <laughs> um, so here we are with um all three characters on there, and I guess like they made it like a movie poster. So Roger Rabbit and Baby Herman are both billed. But they're not, like, in the title. Darn. <laughs> We've talked about a lot of different games, a lot of different books, a lot of different movies. But the only thing we care about is this NES game that we have been talking in depth now for a uh, little over 50 minutes. So let's get to the bottom of this. Let's solve the mystery of whether Who Framed Roger Rabbit is an essential game list. list. <laughs> is it on the list? There are no essential games in this building. Joe, is it on the list? <laughs> oh, short and sweet. Um, no, it's not on the list, but I'll say that uh, it's interesting. It's not good. It's not, it's, you know, it's one of those games where it's just like, maybe in 1989, it would have been like somewhat enjoyable because it was so unique and interesting. Now it's just interesting to like see what they were going for. It, you know, there's a lot of ambition in this game. It was kind of misplaced, I think, at times. But, um, but yeah, n- not essential, but, but, but kind of, kind of a cool piece of of history of video game history. We're gonna play over 600 NES games, and I will tell every listener that there has not been a single week, this one included, where I dread playing the game. Where I'm like, up oh, another week, gotta learn another game. Got to slog through this. I love doing this podcast and playing these games. But this one genuinely confused me. There was a lot of like, just trying to wrap my head about like, why did they choose to do it this way? Like, was this, was there anything else made like this at the time? It's such a weird game where like, sure, Back to the Future was also like a weird movie adaptation game. But this one made me realize like, I might not even be like equipped or ready to talk about something like this because it just requires like 30 plus years of playing this game to truly understand it. You guys probably know Who Framed Roger Rabbit a lot better than the three of us just did on this episode. However, it also made me think about just how thankful I am that we don't get just every movie gets an adaptation for a video game now. That was happening for so long. I remember at one point I heard that... um Batman Begins got like a PlayStation 2 Xbox video game adaptation and I've never sought out video game footage for it. I've never like looked at a preview of it. I just wonder what is that game like? Like that's a Christopher Nolan film that now has <laughs> a video game and that's the same thing here. Like this is a Robert Zemeckis movie that now has like 
a video game that is just a very obtuse way of exploring the same kinds of thing that like the movie does so well. So in some ways, yeah, this isn't a, it's not like the worst game I've ever played on the NES. Yes, it is a confusing game. No, I wouldn't recommend it, but it's almost worse because the movie is so good. Like if that makes any sense, Back to the Future had like the same thing going for it where you're like, that's a timeless movie now. Like that's one of the classics and the game sucks so much that it like hurts to play <laughs> it. And it hurt me to play Who Framed Roger Rabbit, a game where I am not Roger Rabbit, a game where I am solving a mystery that just involves finding things that just happen to be on the floor for whatever reason. Like it's not, they're not hard to find. I'm sure if we just, you know, called the police force, they'd be able to, you know, send the whole crew out and find these things in an hour. But here I am. Wasted my freaking time trying to do it over the course of several hours on an NES game I barely understand. And so for that reason, no, not on the essential games list. I just want to state real quick that um, for the record, I never played it, but apparently the Batman Begins PS2 slash Xbox game or PS3, whatever, wasn't that terrible. Hmm. Or so. But isn't that just crazy? Like. The fact that they even made one, imagine if they went even further and made a Dark Knight video game. Like, I'm what actually would that surprised be? they didn't. I don't know. That's a, it's an action movie. You yeah, can there's, there's, yeah, there's, that's, the, as far as movies, uh, video game adaptations of movies go, any Batman movie makes more sense than, ha- like, more than half of them <laughs> that exist. I'm hoping, like, uh, I kind of wish that in an alternate universe we got, like, a You've Got Mail PS1 game. <laughs> Yeah, where's the the social network video game? <laughs> where's my Zodiac video game? <laughs> well, there's a mystery. That was also two Fincher films. See, we had two Zemeckis films, two, two Nolan films, two Fincher films. All things are good with doubles. Doubles are good. Triples are best. 